0: Well, you thought AI was going to bring the world to an end. Maybe, maybe not, but today we're going to be delving into Elon Musk's Neuralink and the approval that uh, that has been given to go ahead with connecting maybe your brain, somebody's brain at least, to some wires and to Bluetooth and to the, the outside world. So just part of what we're going to be talking about on the New Zealand Tech Podcast today. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host Paul Spain and with me is Brett Roberts. Great to see you, Brett. It's good to see you again. Thanks for for joining us in the studio. Thank you for having me. Maybe you can uh, remind listeners where
1: you fit into this big wide world of of tech in in New Zealand. um, I've been in the tech world for a while. I'd hate to think how long. A decade or two or three. Uh, and right now, I'm the community director for an organisation called Kiwi SAS. So we're working with Kiwi software as a service companies to grow the overall sector, grow the capability, um, and take more SaaS export products to the world.
0: Sounds like a, a pretty satisfying uh, yeah. role because this is the sort of thing that that we all want to grow for for New Zealand as our our digital economy, our weightless exports and, uh, you know, to
1: really uh, give give New Zealand a bit of a, a lift up. You're using all the right words. It's, <laughs> it's pretty cool. We think, um, we'll do the pitch, eh? We think there's about 14,000 people in the sector. We think it generates about 2.2 2 billion a year in revenue. And New Zealand's market share overall worldwide on a really good day with the wind behind us might be about 0.3%. So the opportunity for growth is huge. The high paying jobs. The average job in the um, sector in New Zealand pays double the New Zealand median wage today. So yeah, it's a it's a great role. It's a great community. Great great bunch of companies, and there is just a ton of opportunities. So.
0: Mm. Well, we do have an episode uh, from your recent event, uh, so uh, so that we're a bit more to to delve into on that uh, on that, that that topic. Uh, but let's let's get in there. Big thank you to start with uh, to our show partners to One uh, NZ, Two Degrees, uh, Spark NZ, HP, and Gorilla Technology. But let's start with a bit of a New Zealand uh, focus, and and there's there's I think some you know some interesting and important topics to to delve into. Um, first up, we heard from uh, Chorus around uh, a partnership and and some work that. Uh, that that they've been um, facilitating, which takes advantage of the dark fiber uh, that chorus has, that that runs uh, through uh, the Alpine fault sort of seismic um, zone in the uh, in the South Island the southern Southern Alps. So they've got this fiber that's that's sitting there, dark fiber. Um, you know, is the term for that fiber that is the fiber optic cable that's been laid. Um, but it, it you know, Not doesn't product. doesn't have a customer uh, utilizing it at the moment. And so um, they've been taking uh, advantage of that in uh, conjunction uh, with so the Australian uh, National uh, University and I think the um, Victoria University in, in, in Wellington, uh, and there's been this work going on uh, to to really have a have a closer uh look at what's you know what's going on from a, a seismic perspective and um because you know of the the nature of of fiber optic uh cable um and that it runs you know right across I mean you couldn't afford to run this sort of thing for a for a research uh project no, right. but of course it's it's already. Uh, there, So, you know, they're able to do some really innovative things. And usually they'll have, uh, you know, if they're measuring a particular area, they might have a probe X number of kilometres apart and so on. But, I mean, this allows them to to measure down to very, very close and sort of specific uh,
1: distances that they wouldn't really be able to get data on otherwise. Sound, sounds really cool. It sounds really cool. I, in fact, I heard an interview on Radio New Zealand about this a week or two or three back. It was absolutely fascinating. Um, there's a few things that popped into my head. One was like on the two sides of the fault when they're laying the fibre, do they kind of go, oh, we might throw another 30, 40 metres in just in case it moves one day? Maybe they do. I don't know, you know. <laughs> Hopefully they do. But the whole idea of using something that's already there to measure something that's so important, I just thought was a really cool thing. And the, according to this article I'm reading, the the device that does the measuring is called an interrogator. So I don't know who's in the product team that invented that, but they their marketing could do with a little bit of nuance, I think. But anyway. But yeah, pretty, pretty cool piece of tech, actually. Yeah. And the fact that they can, you know, they know exactly where the fault is and that they can measure it like that, I think it's a really neat thing to do. Yeah. It's, the interview on Radio New Zealand's well worth listening to it was pretty cool.
0: Definitely. And um, yeah, one of the I guess, yeah, there were a few bits that sort of came through from um, you know, from from the the reporting, from their coverage and also uh, in the material that um, you know that that chorus sent through, and you know, really, uh, it's about this this challenge, right? Because these the events of uh, you know that are go that go on, maybe on almost sort of semi continuous basis, are, are very very small. But if you can actually collect, yeah. you know, th- that data and and combine it all together, um, then then you end up with a much you know richer knowledge set. And of course, there's there's you know there's huge gaps. Um, at the moment, obviously, there is data that gets collected, but not at this sort of uh, granularity. So, yeah, I think it's really, uh, really encouraging and, you know, great to see uh, Chorus participating as as a, you know, as a private entity
1: uh, to to this research and, and making that possible. I just love the thought that someone had this random thought one day of doing that, you know, I don't know whether it was Chorus or someone at Victoria University maybe, but a brilliant idea.
0: Yeah. Um, now another another topic that's um, that that tends to get some attention from from time to time is the challenge that we have with uh, global entities, international companies that operate in New Zealand, and of course as we move to uh, a world where where you know technology is is so dominant and global entities have you know so much power, and we we look to whether it's the the role of um you know amazon in the e-commerce space which which in the us i you know the number that sticks in my mind anyway is that they've they've got the majority of all e-commerce in in the us over I 50% so. you know market <laughs> yep. share right um and whilst they're not in that position in new zealand that that's slowly growing as they you know they offer free shipping from australia into new zealand they they could well you know open uh, here in the future um, we're starting to see more uh, international uh, players at, at a at a retail uh, level so you know IKEA are, are on their way we've got uh, we've got Costco um, but it's it's probably the the tech players that have you know stood out for us the the most uh, you know the tech and enabled video with yep. with Netflix and and other uh, streaming services and of course Apple, um, you know Google, Microsoft, uh, you know, and and um, so on. So you know we see huge amounts of money that filter through New Zealand, uh, but New Zealand doesn't seem to clip the ticket much from a from a tax perspective. And I think you know we were chatting before we started, and you know I was saying this this is a topic that has sort of kept me awake <laughs> at night uh, on the odd occasion where where I've been. Lying there trying to work out, you know, and I'm no tax specialist, but trying to work out, you know, what are the ways in which we can we can solve this issue? And, um, you know, I, I I certainly haven't sort of, you know, come to any massive brainwaves on how to do it, because as soon as I have an idea, oh, we could do that and we will get a cut. And then I think, oh, OK, so we're going to get a 15 percent cut or a one and a half percent cut or whatever it is. Oh, they'll just add that onto the, you know, they'll just add that onto the price for, you know, for for Kiwi businesses or or Kiwi consumers and so on. Um, but you you've you've got a fair bit of insight into this sort of thing from from your years in the business world. What are some of the, the things that that you've seen? Be it from you yeah. know um, the Microsoft world, where I know you you know you've had a fair bit of visibility to uh, to to some of the things that that they've done. And look, I think you know all all entities are um you know you could you could say guilty but all all entities are going to um want to do right by um their owners yep. uh and their shareholders uh you know probably uh, you know ahead of necessarily the individual uh markets and
1: in, in which they tend to operate right yeah, it's a it's an interesting situation right it's it's easy to tax or easier to tax atoms than it is bits um, and it, that's always been a been a challenge. And it um, the fact that you can move ownership of those bits very easily as well is part of the challenge. So it's two things. It's the nebulous nature of cloud-delivered services and then the fact that who owns those services can be moved. So I'll give you the example that I saw fairly close up. So while I was at Microsoft back in the day, um, the state of Washington, which is where Microsoft was headquartered, were um, making a few noises about implementing a 1% or 2% um, tax on software companies. Obviously, Microsoft being the key target at the time, they were the biggest software company um, in in Washington State, I believe. Uh, And so Microsoft weren't keen on that, funnily enough. Um, And so when they became concerned enough to do something about it, what they did was they spun a new company up in uh, Reno, Nevada called Microsoft Licensing Inc. They signed over all of Microsoft's uh, IP rights to that company um, they started with the OEM product that's the product that would go on to Windows and Office that went on to new machines at manufacture uh, and all of a sudden Microsoft and um, Redmond and Washington no longer owned that software and no longer generated revenue from that software this other company that at the time had like 10 people in Reno gathered all of that revenue and Reno said they wouldn't implement a tax, uh, that company still exists I believe um, and so you know, it's it's like playing one of those games with the ball and the cup, and you're just continually kind of chasing things around, right? So, so that's you know, there's two challenges in that. Um, I understand. I think it's France or one of the com- countries in the EU implemented a tax recently where they're taxing revenue rather than profitability, mm-hmm. which makes sense to me. And, and in case no one's worked out already, I am not a tax expert mm-hmm. at all. Um, but I think all most countries around the world are probably trying to figure out how. They clip the ticket in a fair and equitable way of companies who have traditionally paid little, if any, tax um, in-country, where they're generating the revenues out of, I think it was last year that Facebook paid no tax. Um, There was a news story either last year or the year before where the average New Zealander paid more tax than Facebook. You know, there is something unfair and inequitable in that, I think most people would agree. Figuring out a system that, A, is fair and equitable, for the company as well hmm. um, and can't just be gazumped by somebody ascribing intellectual property rights from this company over there to that company over there and moving things you know like the shell game is challenging, so i'm sure minds smarter than ours are working on this on both sides of the equation, both on the IRD side and the and the company side right yeah T- look, I, I,
0: yeah I think it is really challenging, and you know of course there's there's that aspect of thinking of yeah, Kiwi companies that are operating in international markets yep. and trying to find and uh, the the appropriate ways, so they're not being you know double taxed as well. Correct. So that you know, yep. oh, well, we made a profit over there, but if we move it around this way, then we're getting you know charged twice. So you know, our profits disappear you know a lot more quickly, yep. and you know that's that sort of thing actually is. Um, yeah, all of the all of these elements, uh, you know, are complex and and take some work to get it right. Um, Ireland seems to be one of those uh, one of those uh, places yep. where where a lot of companies uh, will move to. Interesting, I was talking um, might have been RNZ uh, last week about um, um, Pindodo, Dodo, uh, which is the parent company of Timu, which is this new oh, okay. uh, e-commerce. Yep. Um, it's messing up my social that, media feeds. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's that's making a mess and and you know I think probably has all sorts of risks from a data privacy and and cyber security uh, perspective. And interestingly, that uh, they were certainly you know on the u s side, it looked like they were trying to distance themselves from from China, even though they're you know they're very much a you know a Chinese company. And you know, tr- treating themselves. oh, we're a you know we're a US company, and and so on um, was one of the comments that a, that a journalist shared with me. And when I looked it up, actually, what what their parent company PDD Holdings have apparently just done is moved their headquarters from China. Uh, to Ireland, and that probably has some probably has some you know tax uh, exactly benefits, um, but also in their case where they where they trust no no you can trust us where you know we're we're not closely linked with you know with the communist uh, with the Chinese Communist Party or you know this this and that look we're we're not even a Chinese <laughs> company anymore. Um, so there, there's there's all sorts of manoeuvres that, that go on for uh, you know all sorts of reasons and and, and some of it is very much uh, tax related. But I you know I hope that we can uh, we can keep pushing forward. Um, the article um, that was that the spin off published was around how New Zealand plans to force uh, tech giants to finally um, you know pay pay their taxes. And look, I you know, I think we have to wait wait and see how these uh how these endeavors, you know, actually um play out. And yep, we might get a, a little bit more tax, but you know, does it does it just mean uh that as New Zealanders we end up paying a, you know, a higher uh rate for for everything we get from Netflix to um you know Facebook advertising for you know for businesses and 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 the like, I, right I, across the across the board, and maybe for our
1: smartphones and other gadgets. There, there's a whole lot of things playing into this, right? The numbers are absolutely ginormous. If you read that article, they're talking about, um, according to the Organisation for Economic Cooperation Development, the OECD, BEPS, which is what is it, um, base erosion and profit sharing, catchy little acronym. Practices cost countries US 100 to 240 billion dollars in lost revenue annually, right? The numbers are just huge, but of course the the profit other chal- shifting, I think it was your profit shifting. Sorry, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, the, the challenge is that those companies can all change their prices whenever they want, anyway, and mm, do. Mm, and mm. in fact, right now, in, in the you know, kind of an economic downturn, um, and with companies you know, like Netflix and Disney and others seeing some churn in their customer base, um, they're just capable of and, and more than happy to ratchet pricing up, um, to drive the top line a, as needed. So um, I wouldn't worry too much about tax pushing price up. Other things will push the price up, and very rarely down as, as well. It's a tricky situation. The, the um, you know Singapore has preferential tax regimes. So does Ireland, um, Luxembourg. Um, in fact, one of the very well known, very large um, tech companies who has a presence, very large presence here in New Zealand. If you go back through their company's office filings, you can see. Who the um, where the directorships lie or where the ownership lies, and what, this particular one, it has been Luxembourg, it's been Singapore, it's been Ireland. They move as needed, and and it's all perfectly legal. It's not tax um, evasion; it's tax avoidance, which is perfectly legal. And the challenge here is that the tax system is you know, from the early 1900s, um, dealing with companies that haven't even been around 50 years yet. You know, that are way ahead of the game. So yeah, and I'm sure we, they'll. Figure these things out over time, but yeah,
0: and if we move to a kind of a more digital, turn the knobs on a you know faster, fast moving basis, um, you might solve some issues, and and you know, and, and I think we will. Um, but there there will undoubtedly be some you know some surprise
1: consequences. The law of unintended you know. consequences. So, so you imagine,
0: okay, we're going to you know force this this tax based on revenue or whatever it yep. is, so that. Um, you know the, the New Zealand uh, government's getting a, a slice of you know whichever of these big companies' um, revenue, and then you say, well, um, and you're not allowed to adjust your 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 prices, you know, outside of you know whatever the rule set is compared to US prices, compared to whatever, or you know a particular you know rules, yep. and you can imagine, oh, that yeah, maybe that could work, but you know, of course, then there'll be consequences, and there'll be companies that like. Okay, we're closing up shop yeah. in, in New Zealand. You make you know you're making it uh, too, too difficult, hard. and then you know New Zealand is like, what? We don't have Netflix anymore yeah. or what have you. And you know we saw this to a to a you know a degree um, where where Australia was you know, being they were threatened, threatened by Google or, of, or Google. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's probably a yeah, probably feeds. a number of them where Google were like, well, maybe we'll just exit Australia, yeah. uh, and I, I can't imagine that would have gone down too well. Uh, for for the government, you yeah. know, for uh, consumers to 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 lose, um, you know, uh, an entity of that that sort of scale. Although it, it I mean, to me, it, it it seemed like all all bluster, which you know, it, I think it it, it, it it largely was. But um, yeah, we have some uh, some interesting uh, you know challenges here to deal with, and I, but I think it is important that that we keep moving forward. We keep investigating. And trying to come up with uh, with solutions. Now, of course, the shoe would be on the other foot if if we were living in the US and we were looking at how do we make sure our companies do as well as possible. Yeah, correct. And 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 could be on the other foot in the future uh, as we grow our um, our <laughs> SaaS, our software uh, exports, and more and more of our revenues coming coming that way. And then you know we might be wanting to push back a little bit on what other countries are.
1: Uh, Are doing so. There's some complexity. I don't see this getting figured out by the end of this week. (laughs) I think it's going to take a little while. Yeah. Um, Now, uh, Google
0: have some um, some AI uh, tech that um, is there to help uh, forecast where uh, where flooding might occur, and they've just uh, just launched that uh, to. To cover New Zealand, uh, so uh, Flood Hub—it's—it's uh, it's, you know one of one of Google's uh, services, and it began I th- I think around um, five years ago when you know they trialed it in uh, India and uh, Bangladesh, um, but it's been you know sp- spread out to more more locations, and uh, yeah, now we we have this uh, this level of of capability for New Zealand, able to get, uh, you know, push uh, notifications in, in some areas, I don't think in in New Zealand um, just yet, but this sort of thing's coming where, uh, you know, really the data that they're receiving in, and by applying AI to that, we'll be able to give a heads up and, you know, joining up some dots and uh, doing some smart stuff, we'll do what AI does, which is predict and, you um, and and you know, give us a heads up on what on what might be coming, so that uh, so that we can prepare. Now, I don't know you know how much faster and better that is than what we've you know what we've had to date. But the fact that uh, that Google are doing it, I'm sure others will be doing it. And you know, it is one of the the niceties of innovative companies like Google is that we we get the benefits of uh, you know the R and D that that they're doing you know at scale around
1: the world. It's pretty cool. Like I thought, I, I wasn't even aware of this, but I think it's a really neat initiative on their part. Um, the timeliness of it is the key thing, I guess, right? I mm, um, mean, mm. it was interesting, there was that flooding that happened in Waihi yesterday um, where 44 millimetres of rain fell in one hour. Mm. Um, I don't know whether it would be quick enough to predict that sort of thing, but, you know, the data exists. There's plenty of data sets out there, um, live data sets, and I guess it's just a matter of bringing all that stuff together. What a great opportunity, too, for advertising, right? You know, it looks like you need a generator. (laughs) It looks like you need a pump. (laughs) But, yeah, pretty cool. I thought it was a neat, you know, and that Google's a data company, right? I just thought it was a great idea to pull all that stuff together and make it available to people.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, really, really pleasing. And, yeah, I've seen a bit of media coverage today. I've I've been off off work and uh, not paying too much attention to all of the little, um, you know, technicalities, but... From it looks like around midnight last night, we saw some uh, DNS issues that, from what uh, what I've heard, uh, appear to have been caused by an issue with uh, changes uh, at um, Internet NZ. You know, effectively to do with domain security. I think was the uh, the details I I saw there. Not ideal when these things happen, um, but you know <laughs> this, this is PR. sort of this is sort of the, <laughs> the, the nature of right. um, technology, and and sometimes you know I guess you know we look at we look at you know certain aspects of of these things at a at a local level, and you know of course our entities here aren't of you know aren't of the scale of some of the um, you know the bigger entities elsewhere, and so. You know, a little change made uh, made locally um, that uh, has a fault, um, yeah, may may not get uh, addressed as quickly, or or there may be a you know um, a, a level of fault that you might not expect, maybe for a bigger player. But you know, that said, we look at our Microsofts and AWSs and you know, Google's and Twitter and so on. I mean, you know, every company has issues from, or oh, every organization absolutely. has issues from time to time, don't they?
1: It's, I'm just reading the um, press release from Internet NZ. So it was a um, a DNSSEC chain validation issue, which I have no idea what that means, um, but I love this sentence. The fault occurred during a routine Internet NZ procedure. Like That's how all of these things are always... <laughs> we were doing a routine thing and then something broke and it took us a long time to figure out it had broken and it wreaked havoc. It, as you and I were um, talking about earlier, I think the thing that's interesting with this is it just it's a great reminder... That the the layer that we're currently consuming of, of the technology stack, you know, at that whether it's browsing the web or watching a movie or you know TikTokking or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. is the top very thin layer of a very deep stack that goes all the way down a long long way. Yeah, um, and there are lots of interdependent pieces in that, and sometimes just breaking one piece of that jigsaw puzzle, torturing my analogy, um, can you know, really damage things quite badly, and and we see we do see these things every once in a while, right? Somebody pushes something that should be perfectly okay, and I'm sure has been tested to the nth degree, and it breaks everything. You know, so um, I'm sure there'll be all sorts of what the heck went wrong conversations going on on internet NZ today, but yeah, yeah,
0: and and I think you know we we don't probably see generally the same scale of you know of issues that we used to get in no, the, in I the earlier uh, years of the internet and there's much better understanding of of you know what tends to be happening uh in each place it's it's getting easier to isolate those things and usually the processes that are in place afterwards means that the learning you know goes back yeah. in and some of these things uh are are addressed much better it, it does um yeah you know, it does vary according to the sort of this the the size uh and 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 the um you know the scale of them as you know as to how how important they are um i remember with um you know the domain name uh you know commission that a you know i guess um you know sit, sit under internet uh nz um you know i'm one that's that's always looking for a small productivity gain where it can be had <laughs> and so i would go to um dnc.nz for the domain name um yep. commission and uh, and you know you can you can do that uh, you can do that today if you type the uh, you know the the shorter um, domain name and it does what's called a 301 redirect and yep. it takes you to dnc.org.nz so you know you've saved yourself um, four characters or fifty percent right. of the In twenty the, milliseconds the typing right <laughs> um, yep. but uh, you know that's that's what I would do and I and I would you know I would I would you know routinely do that if I wanted to do a a lookup with the domain name commission and then some somewhere along the line they made some they made some changes yep. and the website would still come up when you went to dnc dot nz and you would go in and do your search and it would fail with some you know what looked like a fairly <laughs> yep. random error because actually it wasn't it wasn't actually configured to work properly uh with that and it went on for months and months, maybe maybe even a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've messaged you know, messaged them um, you know, once once or twice and no one seemed to understand what, you know, what what the issue was, who was handling their their Twitter or or who knows. But, you know, it didn't it didn't lead to any sort of, you know, fix. So, you know, sometimes these yeah. things are quite obscure. Obviously, you know, today's issue was was one that was, you know, impacting a, a large number of people and and was was uh, was well addressed but we do still seem to have this oddity uh in the i don't know how many years it is now it must be uh well over 5 years since we moved to the shorter .nz uh domain names where uh, a lot of organizations still haven't you know completely yep. got their head around oh yeah we we own these uh you know shorter shorter domain names and we and we should be uh, um, you know making sure the domain names that that resolve we own to something resolve and and, yeah. and uh and and go somewhere so um yeah and uh it's one we've we've talked about in the past to do with uh uh to do with our banks so i've just gone to bnz.nz and and they own that domain name and after i alerted them a few years ago they had that redirect to bnz.co.nz uh now I type BNZ.nz and it says, sorry, we couldn't find that website. 404, <laughs> you know, not found. And you know, this is a, a, That'll a be this, this is an entity it's... that makes around a you know a billion dollars um a year. They're paying for a actually a redirect service, it says in the corner of the screen. Easy redo. Um <laughs> so this this is an issue I think unrelated to today's that, yeah. that's been going on for you know may maybe a maybe a year or two now uh with within BNZ, nz that's a sort of smaller thing and uh Interesting. you know right. they they just haven't got around to um money's you know,
1: tight t- t- you know. Tidying it up so money's uh, tight. <laughs> yeah this this, anyway. this press release is is beautiful actually it's got this and good stuff in it internet and z has now identified that the new system has slightly different outputs compared to the old one mm, okay um and then there's this great sense the change we implemented can't be rolled back. <laughs> So basically, it's for everyone else. To, they need to go and sort it out. They did a great job, I do have to say, in Z of of stepping right up immediately and getting on the front foot from the comms perspective, which I think they've done a, done a really good job of. So
0: yeah, look, and 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 I think you know we're 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 generally very very well you know well served here and and in New Zealand. I mean, there's all sorts of debate you could go into about all these things because you'll never. Uh, you know please, please everyone whether it's the cost of domain names or yeah, or, right. or or other um, other aspects but uh, we do we do have a lot to be thankful for when it comes to uh, um, you know varying aspects of of the internet in New Zealand yep um, particularly in in light of uh, some of the media coverage that's been uh, um, coming out of Australia regarding the NBN what they call the national uh, broadband network uh which is um, it's been a very interesting in, endeavor for for australia there's been a lot of politics involved uh there have been a, there's been a huge amount of uh money involved i can't remember what their current investment levels are at but um you know i think uh north of of 20 times uh you know what what new zealand has um uh, you know probably Invested in our uh, certainly in our 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 fibre um, infrastructure with the ultrafast uh, broadband, um, yet they don't seem to be in a in a great state. And uh, to some degree, Brett, I think you can you can you know link this to the fact that technology is always changing and and improving. Um, the goal of of the NBN, my kind of um, you know rough version of it anyway, and, and I'm sure it's not uh, not quite accurate to to their vision, um, but you know my my recollection was uh, really what they wanted to do with with their national broadband uh, network is to provide you know coverage to and again I forget the percentages of the the population, but you know very very much as many people in Australia as possible. And how they did it then would vary according to where people were, but part of the issue was that that led to a complete lack of fibre in places where really they probably should have been investing and in, in installing fibre. Certainly, they've got complexities with just how big you know Australia is. <laughs> uh, yeah. A decision made that they, they would they would invest <laughs> in their own kind of uh, satellite or, or satellites to, to cover Australia. And now we're hearing about people that have actually had, you know, fixed, wired internet connections in Australia, uh, leaving by the thousands um, to move to Starlink, which is actually a pretty, you know, a pretty pricey uh, yeah. service. Now, and certainly, the, you know, we, we've got, uh, you know, a, a chunk of the population in New Zealand that have, you know, that have done um, – Somewhat similar similar things, but you know usually if they're if they're already on a, on a wireless service of, of sorts right so yep. a connection via a mobile network where maybe there's not that much coverage and and speed um, but it seems to be a, a much much bigger problem in Australia where we I think the stats I read were four thousand uh, customers in one week leaving the uh, leaving the NBN. Uh, for Starlink and eight thousand um, across a, a a three week uh, period uh, that have been you know lost from their, their NBN network across to to Starlink. So I mean, there's sort of yeah probably different uh, quite a few different aspects here. One is the the disruptive nature of of new technologies and and just you know how successful um, that that Starlink. R or you know SpaceX with with the Starlink um, you know product having having beaten other players to to yep. the market, uh, and and you know the the actual quality of the uh, uh, the offering um, you know compared to the the price point they seem to have a a, a reasonably good uh, level that they've come into the market and I, it's probably shocking a lot of people how uh, you know how quickly they're they're
1: scoring customers. Well, you you met, this is second mover advantage, right? Um, and, and this is just a genius move, you know, Elon Musk could see a long way ahead, it's very hard burying hundreds of thousands of kilometres of fibre in the ground in a place the size of Australia. Um, and, and so, you know, and of course, right now, the the price might be up there, but there are competitors coming out, in fact, there's already competitors throwing satellites into space. Um, the price will come down, um, and I I wouldn't be surprised if it just gets harder and harder for the NBN to, to compete, right? Um, and and also, I don't think they did the same quality job that was done here with regard to getting great fibre out to the vast proportion of the population. You know, they've got a very big country; they can dig very valuable minerals out of the ground. Of that's a good thing for them. We've got a much smaller country that we can maybe get fibre around to vast proportion of the um, population more more easily. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see this getting any better for NBN anytime soon. Right. Um, The only concern I would have is, you know, um, Musk is a mercurial critter. So um, in fact, when Starlink first was proposed or mentioned, the first thing that popped into my head was that the likes of, you know, the the Sparks and the Telstra's of this world should be absolutely terrified by that, right? It just abstracts completely any value they have of copper on the ground or anything like that. But it is at the mercy of Elon Musk, and he's done a wonderful job with Twitter and you know, it'll be interesting to see what he can do to, you know, with this, I don't know. But but there are other competitors out there, right? Yeah. So so yeah. I just don't see the price doing anything other than trending southwards, which would just make it harder for those that have invested billions of in burying strands of glass in the ground, right?
0: Yeah, and in fact, there was news, it might have been just this afternoon in the last uh, last couple of hours from Spark, that they're trialling uh, business grade satellite broadband service. So they've announced that they've they've entered into a partnering agreement with Netlinks, an ASX listed network as a service uh, technology company, to supply Starlink business grade satellite broadband to customers later this year. And you know once once they're through their uh, trials that are currently underway with a small number. Of New Zealand businesses, that'll be you know that'll be something that's kind of off the yep. shelf from Spark as a telecommunications and, and technology services provider. And you know, of course, we've heard other you know somewhat similar noises from uh, from Vodafone. And I'm trying to remember exactly what uh, what two two degrees have said. I mean, you know, th- they were they were certainly very upfront that they were using uh, they were using uh, Starlink. Yep as you know as quite a um you know a key key part of what happened when you know we had the flooding and and so on so you know there's uh there's a lot of activity going on here and some of it is uh yeah definitely going to change change the landscape how that how that sort of plays out i think um you know is, is probably going to be somewhat complicated because the these business grade services um because of the way that that Starlink um, operate, and the fact that certainly at this stage there there are you know there's 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 nobody kind of directly yeah. com, you know competing because they put the you know so many thousands of satellites up, um, and of course there, there there will be competition, but it means they can sort of slice and dice these arrangements so their their business offering, uh, you know, last time I looked was you know significantly more expensive than the consumer yeah. grade. Uh, offering, and then you know you they can come in with their their different um, you know bits and pieces. So you know as you said, you know they will they will they will move their their consumer type you know prices to you know to win market share. A, as they need to, correct. and um, you know we, we hope that is always done in a in an appropriate. Uh, manner that, that that isn't used just to you know destroy companies by oh we'll just drop our <laughs> prices for a couple of years until yep. until say the, the wireless internet service providers are, are gone yep. and we've heard some you know some noises from you know from that end and, yep. and concerns around um, you know Starlink playing fair. but then at, you know at the higher end at the business end of the scale, uh, when you've got virtually nothing else on offer, uh, you can tweak your prices and and or when you're offering you know very high speed connections on a boat, uh, you can charge you know whatever you like. Uh, at this point, when when there's no uh, no competition, so you know some some pretty interesting uh, uh, you know uh,
1: I guess you know aspects to how this plays out from a business perspective. It's a fascinating story. when you think about it like like Musk and you know my opinions of Elon Musk. He's a he's a genius strategist, right? So, you know, combining, you know, democratisation of, of rocket launches and getting stuff into space with putting his own satellites in there, and you know, that that's just like something out of a science fiction novel. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, right? And, of course, it's all um, software-defined radio stacks. And so when it comes to bandwidth available, therefore upload and download speeds and everything, all that stuff's tweakable. It's not all set in stone, you know, um, at, at a fiber level in the ground you need to change devices at the ends of fiber and all sorts of other things to change speed obviously a lot of that still is configurable as well yes yes but um but yeah I mean the the ability to um, change services offer new products and services change pricing and all that sort of thing is just incredible I live in a almost rural area we've got fiber but you only have to drive a few hundred meters to places that don't have it the majority of folks around our area that were on wireless broadband have now moved to Starlink. Starlink and rave about it. Yeah, Love it. Yeah. You know, yeah. so great product. Seems to be the right price. No one really complains about the price. Genius move. Yeah. Really is.
0: Now I wanted to um, touch briefly just on a on a um, story that The Verge published and they titled their story HP Has Found an Exciting New Way to <laughs> DRM Your Printer. It's such a Verge. Uh, and and, right? the, and the subheading where HP plus means HP plus permanent. DRM, uh, digital rights management, and when it comes to uh, printers, yeah, you know, most of us have come to, you know, recognise that these low-cost uh, printers that that you might pick up at just about, you know, any any retailer, you know, whether it's a a stationary store or blind store, I don't know, anywhere. yeah, and anyway, in their article, they're they're talking about a um, a particular HP uh, printer. Eighty-five dollars gets you this wireless color printer, scanner, and six months of of free ink. And just you know, if you're if you're interested in these sort of aspects of of fairness, or you're thinking around uh, you know buying a new uh, printer, um, this is is as well worth a little bit of a read just to just to understand um, what some of the consequences are with with these new models. And look, there's a real simplicity and, you know, HP have in the past, you know, sent me some of these devices to try out these new sort of subscription-based printers. And look, that simplicity where you don't have to think about ink, it's going to get sent to you, you know, it's X dollars a month. Um, you know, there are aspects of that that are like, oh, this is this is the simplicity that's very helpful for the printer to be able to ping back and and let HP know when your ink's low and, and, and it will... It will send you new ink and so on. I mean, it really does sound, you know, pretty brilliant. But there is a is a flip side uh, to it, and and in fact, one of the things they've highlighted is that you have to uh, accept terms, which means your printer could be blocked uh, from using non HP inks or even, you know, modified uh inks in in the future and so on, so you know we we have seen over many years a you know a whole sort of market spring up of alternative uh inks because when we're buying these printers we're often you know maybe paying less than what the printer is yeah. or should be worth Raisers and and and, and and yeah that's that's because you know they want you to come back and and to buy your ink but quite a fascinating piece here you <laughs> you take a an update to your printer and and then from from there on in, your printer is completely locked to certain cartridges or you get a scenario where you've been on a subscription, you cancel your subscription, there's still ink in your printer but it came through the subscription and so then, do you still get to do you still get to print or not? And we've heard of scenarios of, well, do you still get to scan or not? There's a scanner on there that doesn't you know necessarily yep. require ink. And um there's a fair bit of coverage on on these topics, but uh, I haven't spoken about it for a while, and you know I saw the headlight, thought, yep, let's just mention it because I think, it is worth worth being aware of. I think my rule of thumb is the cheaper the printer is, probably the more expensive yeah. it's going to cost to to run generally. And look, you you know you can pay a lot lot more for some printers uh, that are you know on a per page basis anyway, much cheaper to print. Uh, but of course, most of us are probably doing less less printing these days than what we used to, right?
1: So th- this whole thing's been going on for decades, right? I mean, literally decades. This whole you know. Um, particularly with HP, they've kind of—I think—they've led the way, although the other vendors have all done the same thing at some point. Um, and yeah, I think anybody that walks into a store and buys a ninety-dollar printer that's got all of these sophisticated features on it, and then gets annoyed that the ink costs an arm and a leg, that they DRM it, uh, are probably living in some sort of limbo land economically-wise. You know, I, I think it is a razor and razor blades model, right? Mm, mm. Um, having said that, for whatever it's worth, um, I went down this path just recently and um, had an HP printer that I had forever, and every time I bought ink for it, it always just used to irk me how incredibly expensive it was. Uh, and one day, all of a sudden, one of the brand new ink cartridges didn't work, and I decided that that was it, and I was going to get rid of my HP printer. I bought an um, Epson EcoTank printer that you literally use bottles of ink in yeah. that you tip into, yep. and yes, it cost, I don't know, 600 bucks maybe, um, and I've printed thousands of pages on that since, and I might have spent 100 bucks on ink. It's just it, like... It's a revelation once you go to the, okay, I'll pay a bit more for the actual device in the first place, mm, mm. but the ink is as cheap as chips, and it it's, it it changes everything. I don't even think about how much we print anymore. Once upon a time, it's like, oh my gosh, look, you know, every page is like oh ten or twenty cents or whatever it is. So, yeah, yeah. So it's, I think these things swing back and forth, you know. But I, I don't think I'll ever buy a super cheap printer again. I think I'll always just you know, pay the money up front. They last for years. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think anyone that gets caught out by this probably hasn't been paying enough attention over the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, and and look, I mean we we still see quite commonly um, you know business, businesses that are get caught up with you know they buy the wrong thing yep. because you know they just they just don't realize and you know I know we we've built some sort of internal you know tools for being able to work through uh, you know those key things. So so when a small business uh needs a device that you get something that's as you know as close as you to. can you can reasonably uh, predict based on their usage patterns and business requirements and 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 so on. But yeah, we still see it to this day where you know people buy a printer. one, one recently was an organization you know spent I don't know five or ten k on a printer. they're a, they're a creative business, so they need color accuracy. Ah, oh, but whoever was looking after the purchase for them, i t provider or you know what have you um didn't actually check that piece, so they blew thousands of dollars uh, and uh, you know they're you know feeling like they've got a bit of a um a sore head uh, for for a number of years having to deal with a a not fit for purpose uh, yep. printer. but there you go um now la- last um topic is. Uh, all about brains being linked up to technology, and I guess that the big the big question um, that I pose, certainly one of the the online links for for the the live stream today, is can we trust uh, Elon Musk with um, with you know linking our brains to the internet? Effect- effectively, you could you could put it. Um, because Neuro- Neuralink, uh, which is, is one of his uh, entities, has won um, FDA approval in the United States. The Federal uh, Drug Administration has given them the the rubber uh, stamp, apparently, um, to proceed with the human study of brain implants. Now we've heard stories in the past, and I'm I'm not sure whether any of them are true, but I did read something online talking about uh, 1,500 animals that had lost their lives through varying testing, sheep, pigs. um. Monkeys was the last demo we saw, and um, the monkey demos, I've got to say, were quite mind-blowing to to see a monkey... It's probably um, not quite the right term, but okay. playing, (laughs) um, Playing Pong. Um, and, uh, yeah, to, you know, to, to see this happening with, with, you know, look, ma, no hands, you know, it was a a pure, you know, brain, brain controlled, um, game and some of the possibilities for the future for those that maybe don't have control, um, over limbs, or you know, uh, you know, de- depending on you know whether the dreams of this technology can play out, and and I I you know I certainly don't have enough uh, in depth knowledge to know how far they can take the technology, but by you know putting a wired connection to your brain and linking that up externally, you know there are talks of of that ability to be able to control things like artificial limbs, to be able to uh, communicate when when you can't. Uh, communicate through through other means and maybe just maybe um, you know give give sight back uh, to those who who don't have it. Um, that sounds like some pretty exciting stuff, but you've got to trust elon's company <laughs> musk's company uh, in the journey, or there are some other players in this in this area. What, what do you what do you think? How's how does this play out? Is uh, are there going to be uh, <laughs> a, a, a lot of sore people? Um, you know,
1: do, do do you see a way to a to a good outcome here? As Brett? I said to you before we started this podcast, the last human being on the planet that I would allow to stick anything in my brain is Elon Musk. And in fact, if you read the Guardian article um, about Um, from the 6th of December last year regarding some of the testing processes. They're appallingly bad, like really, really, really bad. Um, They've made terrible mistakes that have caused animals to suffer. Um, Elon Musk is riding the team really, really hard uh, to get the product to market, uh, which is causing, I think, uh, which is the root cause of some of these um, issues, mistakes that are being made and... um, the, the whole concept of putting stuff in people's brains and doing those things, I think, is absolutely incredible, right, I, without a doubt. And I'm sure, you know, over the next 10 years, we're going to see these incredible advances on on how this stuff, um, you know, works. I was reading an article just recently where they were doing uh, an experiment with um, reading the brains of – I think it was monkeys, actually. Uh, and what they'd done is they had genetically modified the monkeys – so that when their neurons fired, they gave off a pulse of green wavelength light, and they can literally put electrodes or sensors on the monkey's head and pick up through the skull the pulses of light. And they're using so non-invasive from the point of view of probes and things, they can read what's going on in the animal's brain, which is just incredible. It was interesting just on this. I, and again, Musk is, as I said, a sort of mercurial uh, creature, right? I. Politically and a whole bunch of other ways, I have no time at all for the man, but he is a strategic genius and he thinks, you know, dimensions ahead of others on some of these things. I spoke to someone probably about eighteen months, two years ago, uh, who had a friend that had been hired by Neuralink, um, an engineer, very, um, you know, uh, highly talented engineer, um, and their story to the person I was talking to was that. Uh, the whole thing around helping paralysed victims, all that sort of thing, is the first step in this. Elon Musk is very much on the record as saying um, along the lines of that AI is a greater threat to mankind than nuclear weapons are. Right? He has uh, some serious concerns about, about the potential for AI. What this person was saying to the friend I was speaking to was that Musk's end goal here is to connect human brains as a counter to AI, which I thought was an, one of those... Oh my God! It sounds like a James Bond movie kind of kind of thing. Um, and at the time, I laughed at that. And and now, probably eighteen. In fact, it's probably two years down the track. Um, I, I look at that now and, and gauge some of the other things he's done where he's outthought, outpaced others. Um, and I, I certainly wouldn't write it off. Right, the, the guy does think streets ahead of of most others. So yeah, look, I wouldn't let him put anywhere near anything anywhere near my brain. Um, mm-hmm. But if anyone's going to figure this out and do it, it's probably this guy, um, and it might be you might be doing it in a roughshod manner at the moment. Um, but yeah, just n- never never underestimate a motivated Elon Musk to get stuff done,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you look at their uh, Tesla full self-driving, uh, you know, beta and. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, oh, maybe that's
1: not a good example. That's uh, taken a little bit too long. Okay, but you know, <laughs> well, there,
0: there, there's you know when you when you look at that, you know, it shows elements of the genius, but elements of things don't always play out as yeah. planned, and and there there are dangers that we might not necessarily. Um, I, I think you he's know, a genius a, strategist. Expect, I, right? I
1: think strategically, he's he's a genius. I don't think he's anywhere near the smart engineer that people make him out to be. I don't think he understands software as well as he makes out. I think any, everything happening to Twitter shows that pretty clearly. Uh, they've run into all sorts of engineering issues with Tesla. Um, you know, um, they've run into and they're now running into issues where, you know, he's had ten years to get ahead of the Fords and the VWs and that, and they're all catching up pretty quickly. Um, but the guy thinks streets ahead, and and I think this is probably one of those examples. Mm,
0: of well, it's um the sort of thing I think you know most of us hope that we're we're never in a position of of needing no, exactly. uh, you <laughs> know, right. th- th- this type of technology um, but but there is an aspect there that you know hopefully the the people that are on the team are good solid people that will that will do uh, good things. and I think I'm in the same in a or in a similar camp to you and that you know I certainly wouldn't be having uh, Elon wiring stuff into <laughs> into my brain. Um, but there, there's probably, you know, scenarios that, that some folks get into oh, where doubt. you're in that position and, yep. uh, look, one, you know, once it's tried and tested and, and, you know, if there are trustworthy people in, involved,
1: um, you know, it's something you might consider. We'll for, come back here in 10 years and this will be commonplace technology. It'll be changing <laughs> the lives of people that have been paralysed or blinded or whatever it might be. We might have hooked all the brains in the world up so we can combat AI, who knows, um, but this will go somewhere, mm, without mm, a doubt, right? Mm, mm. Um, and these things are always ugly at the beginning. I mean, it's yeah. just the nature of the beast. It's like the first heart transplants, you know, the first heart bypass machines, all that type of thing. Yeah, you don't want to be the the beta tester if you can possibly avoid it. Well, there it is,
0: folks. Join us uh, again uh, in end of May, uh, twenty thirty three. Uh, and we we will look back on uh, Neuralink and uh, brain so we'll be interf- in. interfaces linked up to AI. Um, you know the the possibilities will will probably literally blow your mind. Um, we'll be doing it in the metaverse. It's it's crazy times ahead. But <laughs> such is the nature of technology. Um, thank you, Brett, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you to our show partners: Gorilla Technology, HP, Spark, Two Degrees and 1NZ. And we will be back again with another episode next week. Uh, if you've been watching the live stream, do make sure to uh, fire up uh, your favourite podcast app uh, on your phone and, uh, and follow or, or subscribe to the podcast there. Of course, if you're listening to, to the audio, which, which is, is uh, you know, most of our audience, um, you know, do jump in, whether it's uh, YouTube, Twitter uh, or LinkedIn and uh, find us and, and follow there so you've got a chance of being able to catch uh, the live streams that tend to happen most Tuesday afternoons. And keep a lookout for that Southern uh, SAS episode. It's already out. Uh, thank you, John, for uh, for putting that one uh, together and thanks, everyone, for listening in and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology proactive
1: and strategic IT.